right, so we're in Luke chapter 6. Open your Bibles, open your smartphones, tablets, whatever you got. Ancient scrolls, chapter 6 of Luke. We're going to start in verse 12, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 26. All right, ready? One of these days, or one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, he went down with them. He stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there. A great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region, from Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits, they were cured. And the people, they all tried to touch him because power was coming from Jesus and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you, when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. We're going to stop there. All right, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Now, if you're like me, with passages like this, you can sometimes, they can almost sometimes become too familiar. You know what I'm talking about, right? Too familiar where you miss the point or you miss what is actually Happening, by the way, that's what I love about preaching verse by verse because of the Holy Spirit's help. Familiar passages like this one, uh, you begin to notice things you've never noticed before, see things you haven't seen before. And right away in this passage this week, uh, again, a kind of a familiar passage, uh, there were some things that the Lord uh, spoke to me. Jesus chooses his closest disciples, his 12, which, by the way, is powerful enough, I think, that Jesus chooses normal, everyday people just like us to be his disciples. Can I get an amen? Amen. But what caught my eye this week, and, and what I want you to notice this morning, is I want you to look at the timing of his choosing the 12. Is it morning or is it night when he chooses the 12? It's morning. And why is that important? That's right. Very well. He calls them in the morning. Why? Because he has spent all night the night before praying to his father. He was praying to his father. If you don't like praying, don't read the Bible. (laughs) Because the Bible will show you a consistent, constant theme regarding the necessity of prayer. It's going to show you that the people of God pray to God. Jesus prays. His disciples pray. The apostles pray. If you are a Christ follower, you pray. It's who we are. It's a part of our spiritual DNA. The people of God pray 
to God. It's actually one of my favorite things about LifeSpring. We pray. Right? Every church, by the way, says that they pray. Every church says they're a praying church. But you guys take it to the next level. I mean, just this morning after our prayer time, I saw a group of three praying over here for one another. I, I saw two people in the back praying for one another. Over here, another group praying for one another. Right? It's not just up on stage. You take it into the lobby. You take it into the parking lot. You take it to the hospitals. You take it to Starbucks. You take it to your living rooms. You pray and praise the Lord for a church that is truly a praying church. That encounter night. Wow, what a night that was. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you, team, for just an incredible night and so many people. I mean, what an attendance we had at that encounter night. But in that special you know, worship time that we had, we broke into groups. And what did we do in those groups? We prayed. It was a powerful time of prayer. But why do we pray? Right? Why did Jesus pray? Why did his disciples pray? Because they actually believed that something happens in prayer. They actually believe that there's power in prayer. Church, do you believe that there's power in prayer? Jesus wasn't up all night praying because he's like, well, you know, Pastor Dan said I got to pray. So I guess, you know, check the box, prayed. No, Jesus prayed. Why was he praying? He believed, he was, I and mean, we don't know what he was talking to his father about, but we know he was praying to, to his father, and as he is praying to his father, again, I don't know what he was talking about, but there must have been something, because in the morning, what happens? Again, what happens the next morning? He chooses who? Chooses his disciples, people that we're still talking about to this day. He chooses his closest followers. If Jesus thought it was important enough, Right To pray the night before choosing his disciples, then maybe it's a good idea for us to pray too. Just think about your life. Just think about your week. Think about what's going on. Do you have any big decisions that need to be made? Are you facing any challenges? Any obstacles? Any areas where you, you just know you need the wisdom of God? What, what are you praying about? Right? What are you talking to the Lord about? What's going on in your life where you just realize, man, I need to pray? It happened to me a couple nights ago. I was like, I just, I just left. The, the, everyone was in the family room. My family was having a great time. I was like, I just got to, I have to pray. And I went to my bedroom. I kneeled down. I just prayed to the Lord. One of those areas for me is for Pastor Tom, right? What's going on in Pastor Tom's body right now? What's going on in his life? I mean, that's a serious deal. And so many of us in this room, I, I know we are on a daily basis praying to God, talking to God, asking God for a miracle in his body. And that's not just some, like, religious exercise, right? Well, you know, I, I think maybe I'm supposed to do that. No, we're praying because we believe James 5.16 tells us. You've heard it before, right? That the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. The New American Standard Version, I love it. It says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Praise the Lord. We believe, isn't that it's so good? We believe our prayers can what? Can accomplish much. We believe in the power of prayer. And so for the next 30 seconds or so, let's just quietly approach the Lord in prayer. Just between you and God. Thank Him for who He is. Ask Him for wisdom in the areas where you need wisdom. Ask Him for help in the areas where you need help. And listen to what He might want to say. Again, this is just quietly between you and the Lord, and then we'll move on.
Thank you. All right, so he prays. He calls his disciples to him. He chose 12 of them. 12, right? That number is significant. Reminds you of the 12 tribes of Israel. It should make you also ponder what he's doing, right? Thinking about this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. At this point, there's many disciples of Jesus, right? There's many followers of Jesus, people who are learners, right? People who are learning from him. But then out of this group, he calls the 12. Again, very familiar to us, any of us who have been walking with Jesus, right? We know that Jesus chose the 12, but I want you to pause for a moment. Jesus chose the 12. He chose the 12. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. Many of you are on the daily reading plan. Gotta love the daily reading plan. Again, just some of you, the comments that you make in there are so good. They get me through my day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But in that reading plan, we've been reading a lot of the Old Testament, right? What's the prophet that we've been in this week? Jeremiah, that's right. And we are reading so much of the Old Testament or the First Testament. And this idea of choosing is pretty familiar or popular in the Old Testament. It makes you think of people like Abraham, right? God choosing Abraham or Moses or David or Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the prophets. The twelve disciples now, they are chosen by God. This is one of the reasons I love reading the Bible so much. Because a phrase like that, right, that God chose them. It doesn't, you know, by itself, standing alone by itself in the context of just choosing those disciples. It's like, okay, you know, like I went through the Taco Bell drive through and I chose the Chalupa, right? Like, what, what's the big deal? But in the middle of the divine story of God, all of a sudden, like, about, like with me, it just burst off the page. Like as God divinely chose Israel, as God divinely chose his prophets, chose his leaders, he has now chosen his, his disciples. And don't you know, he is still in the business of choosing people. Do you believe that? And this morning we can stand amazed like, wow, as they have been chosen, I have been chosen, I have been chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. Praise the Lord. He called them out. He chose them by name to follow him. So, so good. All right, the Bible goes on. Because he chose them, it says he designated them as apostles. He designated them as apostles. Apostles, we've heard that word before, right? We know that that word means the sent out ones, to be sent out. And and he sends out, he's going to send out these uh, 12. They're going to be sent out as messengers. Later on, he's going to give them delegated power and authority that comes from his name. They're going to be ambassadors for his kingdom. And you see this even after he's dead, right? After he's dead, he raises and he ascends to heaven. These apostles... Right? They continue in this apostleship. They continue to represent Jesus. They continue to carry his name and carry his message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Wherever they go, they continue to minister by Jesus' power and authority. Apostles. Of course, again, you can't help but consider your own life as ones chosen by God. How do we do? How do we do this? Right? How, how do we carry his name? How do we go out? And, and, and even do I go out? Do I represent Christ? Do I uh, bring Christ into the room? Do I uh, carry his name wherever I go? Think about that. Not in condemnation, but just consider as a chosen one of God, as a son, as a daughter of God, how do you carry the name of Jesus through your day? What does that look, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but just think, what, what does that look like in the context of your life? What does it look like to be sent out and to represent Jesus in your school? In your workplace, 
in your family, in your home, where you carry his power, his authority. So again, Jesus prays all night to his father in the morning. He chooses the twelve. He calls them to himself. He designates them as apostles. But now the story shifts. And we're going to pick it up here at verse 17. So Jesus, he went down with these disciples and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. So so more than just the twelve. And a great number of people from all over. From Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. I actually have a map here um, I wanted to show you. So uh, you're not going to be able to tell, really, but down towards the bottom area of the green section, that's Judea, the region of Judea, and that's also where Jerusalem is. And then Jesus' early ministry is way up, see that body of water up? (laughs) I'd be a terrible uh, person that tells you where to go. Um, (laughs) That's the Sea of Galilee. So see the Sea of Galilee, and then if you go left, you see Tyre and Sidon. So people are coming from a ways, right? From, from a good distance to see Jesus. And they'd come to hear him be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits, they were cured. The people, they all tried to touch him because power was coming from Jesus and healing them all. All right, so I'm going to make us use our brains a little bit here. I promise it won't be too painful, but... I just want you to think about this. Uh, all these people, um, all these people coming to Jesus. Let's say they're over on this side. They're, they're coming to Jesus to be healed. It's amazing, right? You think about it in this context of what we just read about him choosing the twelve and designating them as apostles, ones who would go out, eventually be sent out in the power and authority of Jesus' name for the kingdom of God. But none of that has really happened yet, right? They've just been chosen. And so at this point, if you want to be healed by Jesus, what are you going to have to do? You've got to get to Jesus, right? So, so people actually started coming from all over the place, right? We just said that. Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, Sidon. You've got a disease. You've got an impure spirit. You've got something troubling you, something physical, spiritual, mental, whatever you've got. Just, you're going to travel as far as you've got to travel. You're going to walk as far as you've got to walk. You're going to do whatever you've got to do until you get to Jesus. But then once you're there, like once you're in the same room with Jesus you got to get all the way there. Right? So if I'm here, and Jesus is there, let's say I traveled all the way by foot from Portland, Oregon, to meet you, Jesus. I can't just be here, right? I got, what do I have to do? I have to go over here. Whoa! <laughs> i got to touch him. i got to touch him. Verse 19, that's what it says, right? All the people, what were they trying to do? They were trying to touch him. Why? Because power was coming from him and healing them all. And praise the Lord, right? That, that's amazing. That's amazing. But think about what is happening with these healings in the larger context of what Jesus is doing by choosing these 12 as representatives of his kingdom as apostles. Think of it this way. Here is Jesus in the here and now. Here and now, face to face, present with the people, healing, doing a ministry of healing, while at the same time, he is also putting into place, establishing a kingdom. So I'm healing diseases, right? Curing impure spirits, but at the same time, I'm choosing the 12. I'm teaching them. I'm training them. I'm equipping them. In fact, later in uh, chapter 9, he says, 
that he called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. See, he's going to be releasing them as Holy Spirit-filled, power-packed apostles, meaning sent out ones, messengers, carrying the message of Jesus, his kingdom, also representatives, ambassadors who have the power and authority in Jesus' name to drive out demons and diseases. And so again, I just want you to see this. He is present with these hurting people while at the same time he is working to establish his kingdom with 12 disciples who will be sent out to do what Jesus is doing. You tracking with me? Following what I'm saying? Because eventually, and this is one of the most powerful parts of Jesus' kingdom, eventually it's not going to be about people having to walk or drive or fly or swim or hop or whatever you got to do to get to Jesus. In Jesus' kingdom, he's going to get to you. I love the kingdom of God. He's going to get to you. By his life, by his death, he defeated sin and evil. And by sending us the Holy Spirit, he established a way by which the whole earth could experience the power of his kingdom. For 2,000 years, he has been sending the ambassadors of his kingdom, full of the Spirit of God, who carry the power of his name from where? Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this means there's power in the name of Jesus. And this means that powerful name of Jesus is coming to a town near you, even Edgewood, Washington. That's what's so great about his kingdom. That's why we can smile today. Because even this day, You don't have to go to that one place, in that one town, in that one country to find Jesus. Because Jesus and the power of Jesus has gone out to the four corners of this world because Jesus gave his disciples power and authority. For us in the year 2019, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we carry the exact same name of Jesus wherever we go. And that's why Jesus and his healing is here. It's in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the state of Washington. It's in the city of Seattle. It's in Edgewood, Washington. All because of the divine kingdom of God that Jesus began to establish 2,000 years ago. It's so good. I don't know if you noticed on that map, Edgewood wasn't on the map. I want to show you a different map. It's not even close. (laughs) I mean, 2,000 years ago, right? If you wanted to get to Jesus from Edgewood, I mean, good luck. Good luck. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to travel there. I mean, I loved being in Israel. Both times, just an incredible time. But you don't have to go to Israel to find Jesus. The power of His name has traveled here. And how did it happen? How did it happen? Well, it happened through His chosen people, sent out ones who carry His name from those 12 standing there in Luke chapter 6 to those who are standing here today. His power, His authority, His kingdom has come through His people. You might want to write this down. People no longer have to run to the good news. The good news runs to them. The good news runs to the lost. The good news runs to the poor. The good news runs to the brokenhearted as we go out into the world. Praise the Lord. Church, I want us to watch this video. It's about five minutes long. It'll explain some of this a little bit deeper. And then I have some closing thoughts, but I think you're going to enjoy this. 
there's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news! And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies.
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Awesome. Oh my goodness. I want to close with this. The the video mentions an upside down kingdom. And in today's passage, in the midst of Jesus establishing his kingdom, he's going to begin to teach on what the kingdom looks like. And we're we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, probably going to be two or three weeks. But I want to at least get us started in this direction. So verse 20, he says, he's looking at his disciples. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are Hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Did you see that? You're blessed are who? The poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated. But woe to you who are rich. You've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. You're going to go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. You will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I want to stop there. Jesus is going to continue. Next week we'll pick it up right where we, where we stopped this week. But next week is going to be awesome. And again, use those invite cards. Invite a friend. Invite a family member. Come over the next few weeks. Uh, like that video talked about, Jesus is going to show us the power of an upside-down kingdom. As the worship team comes back up, just remember this, church. You are a chosen people. You are a people who are being sent out even to this day. Remember, you carry the name of Jesus and you carry the message of his kingdom wherever you go. Are you running? Or don't you just love that when they're running with their sandals and their feet or just getting dirty and beat up from running, carrying the good news of Jesus? Are you running, church, with the good news of Jesus? Are you running to your friends, to your family, to your co-workers with the good news of Jesus? It's a simple question, but it's a powerful question. Do you even believe that? Do you even believe in his name? Do you even believe in his kingdom? Do you believe there's power in his name? Do you believe there's power in his kingdom? This is so important. It challenges me because we we don't stay in this room the rest of this week, do we? Like I don't know about you. I don't stay here. We go out. We go into our schools. We go into our workplace. We go into our homes. But do you believe that as you go, that the powerful name of Jesus goes too? Do you believe that as you go, you go as an ambassador for Christ? representing the good news of his kingdom. Remember, in that passage today, it was such a good passage, but remember, people came from all over the place. Why? Because they saw his power. They came from all over to see his power, to touch Jesus. But do people see the power of Jesus in you? Do they see his power in you? I hope so. I hope they do. Because here's the deal. Have you noticed this world is watching 
They're looking. They're, this world needs Jesus like never before. We have not moved on past needing the Savior. We, have, we are more desperate than ever for Jesus and what Jesus can bring. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, you have what they need. Are you willing to share what you have? Share the name of Jesus with those around you. We're going to sing a new song, and, and I hope it just reminds you that Jesus and his kingdom is the kingdom of light. It's the answer to darkness. It's what is right amongst so much that is wrong. It's the only hope in the midst of chaos. Again, we are chosen. We are sent out by God. Let's carry the name of Jesus. Let's represent this upside-down kingdom wherever we go. And as we sing, let the Lord show you maybe where your life needs to hear this truth again. But if we could, church, as we sing the song, maybe even get it beyond where my life needs to hear this. But let the Lord reveal to you names of people around you, friends, family, co-workers, classmates, who need to hear this good news, that need the truth, that there is power in the name of Jesus, and that there's a better way to live, that there's a new life, a life in an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom of God. Let's do this together.